welcome to the Built on Air podcast, the variety show for all things Airtable. Each episode, we cover four different segments. It's always fresh and different and lots of fun while you get the insider info on all things Airtable. Our hosts and guests are some of the most senior experts in the Airtable community. Join us live each week on our YouTube channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And join our active community at builtonair.com join. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor, OntoAir.com. Any business running on Airtable gets the value that Airtable has, but also needs a few more functions to complete their operations. That's where OntoAir comes in. It's a suite of tools for any business running on Airtable to maximize your operations efficiencies and automations. One customer, John, states that OntoAir enables his business to function properly without having to think about building their own software. And that is pretty invaluable. The OntoAir Airtable apps are amazing and we use them often and are very happy with the results. So join John and hundreds more customers and take your Airtable to the next level with OntoAir. Sign up today with promo code BUILTONAIR for a 10% discount. Check them out at OntoAir.com. And now let's check out today's episode and see what we built on air. Welcome to the Built on Air podcast. We are live for season 11, episode 12, last show of season 11. It's good to be with you. We've got a full show with us. As you can see, we've got a full house today. Myself, Camille, and Ali, the regulars with us. Welcome back. Welcome, Ali. Been a couple of weeks without you. Good to have you back. Glad to be back. And we've got a special guest with us, Chris Santis. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Nice to be here. Good to have you with us. We'll learn more about Chris and his story later in the show. So always good to have people with us. I'm going to give us a little bit more room here. Get rid of the branding that we can see everyone's faces. There we go. And as always, the Built on Air podcast is an hour-long show where we go through a couple different segments. I'll walk us through what we're going to be doing today. We always start with our Around the Bases, where we talk about what's going on, keep you up to date in the Airtable communities and what's new. And then we will do a spotlight on our primary sponsor, Onto Air. Then we will learn about Chris and his story and how he found Airtable and then Chris will be doing a deep dive on some of his bases that he's built and uses in his architecture uh, firm. And then a quick shout out to our Built on Air community. And then finally, we will end with a showcase, a case for interface with Camille, learning about um, how to integrate with Google Drive documents. And that will wrap up our show and our season. So... Let's start with round the bases. So not much going on, a little bit quieter. Last week was jam-packed with product announcements. Um, this week will be a little bit lighter. I didn't uh, have as much to, to share this week, but that's good because we've got a lot of stuff to get to. So there were a couple announcements, um, new features, not big ones. These were kind of like hidden in the, in the comment sections. Um, so this, uh, did we talk about this last time, Camille? I can't remember. No, because it wasn't there yet, I don't think. Um, yeah, so they, in the new field manager, before you could see the field type and description and permissions and stuff. And since then, they have added in a column for field ID, which I was very happy about because it's easy to get the field IDs from a table if you're scripting. Uh, and if you... I think you go through the API documentation for your base, you could also see it. But for the layperson, if you just want to get the field ID, it was so difficult <laughs> to figure out what field was which. Like we yeah. could see your URL right now and we can easily find the base ID, the table ID, the view ID, and the record ID if you had a record expanded, but you can't see field IDs anywhere else except for you can now see it in the manage fields thing. Yes. So that's nice. Yeah, I'm showing this here. I saw other people would uh, use it, but you could like find it in a, well, I guess that was for broken ones. I thought there was, there was like a way where you could like fake it in a formula to like figure out what the field ID was or something. But um, 
so yeah, this is much easier to use. Very, very useful. Yeah, I had a script that would generate all the fields and everything that I had before and don't need that anymore. So that is a cool feature, but it wasn't really, yeah, it was just kind of hidden in uh, in, in the existing thread talking about the new um, base navigation. So that is very useful. And if it's, if you don't see it, there's a toggle. I, I didn't realize this at first, but um, back in the manage fields, Right here, this icon right here, this is, this is actually a button that you can press to determine which um, fields you want displayed. And so that's useful. So if you're not seeing it, then you might need to check it in here to make sure it displays. But I think it displays by default. I think so too. I think one other thing that um, I've seen a couple people discover and like be surprised about is if you actually click on one of the column headers, you can sort by that column. Not the field ID. Apparently not the field ID. But <laughs> well, I mean, you'd never need to. Right. Field type. Field so type's probably the most relevant, yeah. Yeah. Um, right, yeah. yeah, I can't see a situation where you'd actually want to sort by field ID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny. Or de well, dependency you can. So you can see which ones have dependencies, so. That's helpful. Uh, so it doesn't even sort by value, like right. with, the, with your most dependent field, basically. Yeah. 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 Cool. So yeah, definitely useful. Check that out. Um, there was one more. Um, so this was also another one that was hidden uh, at the bottom of another thread. I think there's another thread that talks about this. So now if you're using um, URL parameters in your Airtable forms, before you had to use prefill underscore and then the field name, mm -hmm. um, but now you can use the field ID, which is useful. That's super useful. That means if you wanna change your field names, you don't have to worry about finding all the formulas that reference it because it's not like it's referencing well it probably is also referencing the field itself but like the if the field name is typed out and then you delete it then you're not going to know that it's broken if that makes sense yeah it's not yeah. a dynamic link yeah. yeah and you know you might have spaces in your field name you have to go and make it so it's uh encoded all that kind of stuff and you know this isn't necessarily foolproof, but if you wanted to discourage people from changing a pre-filled value, if you can see in the URL of the form URL. that's been given that says like, uh, you know, pricing tier ultra or whatever, you know, <laughs> someone could see that and go, well, I don't want, I don't want my pricing tier to be ultra. I want it to be, you know, minimal. If they're, if they're just seeing random field ID equals ultra, you're going to be less likely to, you know, suss out exactly what information you're trying to put in there. Yeah. Do you still have to uh, put prefill underscore in front of it if you're using field ID? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't actually tested that. Um, well, I guess they're saying they'll update the article soon, so it might not be updated. I think you still have to do it uh, to get the um, query parameter to, to register. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like uh, it's actually a good article. I haven't seen this one. It's actually pretty detailed. That's super helpful. Yeah, it looks like they don't. Um, oh, they've even got a shout out to, to Kavan's app. <laughs> <laughs> That's Love nice. It. So yeah, it doesn't say yet, but I'm assuming yeah, you still say prefill underscore and then the yeah. FLB code. We have a comment from Justin that uh, clarifies that it is still necessary. Thank you, Justin. <laughs> Cool. So yeah, that's that's useful, like you all mentioned, to to lock it in, and you don't have to, especially if you're sharing your form out in the world and and linking to it from different websites. If you ever change your field names, then you can't. It's hard to go back and find all the places where that's linked to, so you don't have to worry about that. So useful in that regard. 
All right, last one. Um, this comes from our Built on Air community, a fun little game. So start thinking. So Hannah poses the question, how would you describe Airtable in three words? So there's some good commentary. I'll read these while you're all thinking of how you would describe it. Uh, people said, organize everything easily. Spreadsheets become databases. Uh, Rebecca, not able to share her three words. Might not be pro appropriate. Uh, powerful, always evolving. Supercharge your spreadsheets. No low-code database. Data gone wild from Justin joining us. Uh, data your way. Red, yellow, blue. Uh, Bill French is very literal. <laughs> um, expanded my career. That's kind of cool. Legos, but work. That's, cool. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. I love that. Foundation to function, the last one from Leona. Any others? I'm not a tagline person. I'm a long, <laughs> protracted metaphor kind of gal. It's like you all your base are belong to us. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> base belong us. There you go. Built on air. There you go. Hey, there you go. <laughs> That's a good one to end on for sure. Yeah. I love that. So, kind of fun game. We usually, yeah, uh, Hannah's good about uh, posting some fun activities in the Built On Air community. Um, always enjoy participation. So fun way to, uh, to, to wrap up. Um, any other, was there anything I missed this week? Anything else interesting happening in the communities? Not that I recall. Uh, Side notes, I saw that they extended the deadline for the interface competition. Yeah. Yep, that's good to know. I didn't know that. That's great. Well, it was yeah. it was hidden in the comments. <laughs> yeah. When they, when they announced the form element or page type or whatever for interfaces, they extended the deadline because it's, you know, obviously something that people would probably want to include in their um, yeah. competition yeah. entry. Yeah, yeah nice. that's a good... Um, also, if anybody is planning to, there actually is a group somewhere in the Built on Air community of people that are uh, going to help each other review. So if you're looking for feedback on yours before submitting, uh, check out in the Slack community for Built on Air. There's people that are um, helping each other out with that. So um, the other thing I was going to mention also, I saw there's a lot of discussion about what's included in the interface like what, what what's being judged um and you know especially like what if you're using automations as part of your interface it sounds like they will incorporate auto automations as part of their evaluation for your interface um there wasn't a lot of clarification more questions than clarification but it does yeah. look like it's interface in from my from my reading of that thread, it someone pointed out, I think it was Kavan, that before if you added a base to the Airtable universe, automations didn't carry over. And she was asking, well, if the interfaces that we're submitting are dependent on automations, how does that work? And then some time passed, and then Jordan came in and said, automations will will be there. So I haven't tested this myself, but it sounds to me like that has been fixed for the um, universe that they now carry over automations, I think. Either that or they obviously have a way where they can pull in the automations uh, or duplicate the base. Because when you duplicate a base, it does include them. Yeah, right. Um, so they might just have a back-end mm -hmm. way to duplicate the base. Hopefully, because yeah, that is a really good point. Um, one other thing I saw this week, I don't know if you guys maybe pulled it up last week or when it was released, but an Airtable employee on LinkedIn shared a super, super cute new commercial with like little kids pretending to be directors of like a movie. It's uh -huh. really cute. Like it's, I would highly recommend watching it. I don't know if it's worth pulling it up now. It's pretty long, but definitely go check that out. It's really funny. I think if it's the one I'm thinking of, there's one that's been around for a couple of years. Was it, it, it like outside, been. like in a yard? 
I, I'm not sure if it was if it's a couple of years old, then my bad. But I I don't know. I saw it and I thought it was really cute. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Okay, we'll we'll look for that and uh, share that. <clears throat> Very good. So that uh, concludes our round the bases. Next, a uh, quick plug for Onto Air, our primary sponsor. Um, Jan just Jan mentions he doesn't think it's it's new. Um, I yeah. So there was one early in the Airtable about that. So, but it's still worth checking out if you haven't seen it. <laughs> um, so Onto Air is an all-in-one toolkit to run your business on Airtable. It's a suite of apps and extensions that enable businesses to really take full advantage of Airtable. Um, we provide a lot of different things. Today, I've been, I'm continuing with our highlight of our soon-to-come, soon-to-release in beta standalone forms product. Um, so we have a forms integration with JotForm, a third-party form solution. We've been working for months on a standalone version that will be a game-changer for your Airtable form solution. Um, this is... Hopefully we will be live at least in beta before we come back for next season. That's our goal is to launch in August. There's always a lot of last things to, to wrap up before then, but we're getting close. Um, so I just wanted to showcase. So with this form solution, you'll be able to determine how you want to use it. You can use it just for creating new records or just for updating existing records or be able to use the same form for either or creating a new record or updating an existing record in the in the database or in the table. And once you um, select that, it will determine, it will have um, the configuration for it. And one of the cool features that, that we've been uh, experimenting with is the ability to default your values based off of an existing record in the database. So you can specify when you're creating a new record, you can specify a record ID to use as the default values to insert into a new form. Um, or you can even dynamically do that where you can pass in a URL parameter with the record ID of the, the record that you want to use as your default values. Um, so that's an option as well. Or if you're updating an existing record, you can specify how you want to find that record that you want to update. The default would be to just pass the, um, the record ID as a parameter in the URL, like slash record ID in the form URL, or you can match on a URL parameter. So if you have some other unique identifier to find a record, you can specify what field um, to match it with the URL parameter. And so very advanced ways to update existing records or create new records. Just one small um, feature that, that will be available in the form solution along with many others. Some we've already shown, many that we haven't shown yet. So very excited to, uh, this has been a lot of work and very excited to get this out there live and get people using it. Um, so coming soon, hopefully this month in August. All right, let's move on to meet the creators and our friend Chris with us. Allie, you want to let's learn about Chris? Absolutely. And my neighbor decided right now is a good time to go use the saw in his driveway. So I apologize <laughs> if you can hear that. <laughs> um, we can't. Good. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Chris, welcome. Gr very great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Super exciting. So you are an architect? Yes, not the data, not software, actual buildings. <laughs> right, actual buildings. So that's actually an interesting crossover. So are you are you building your bases too? Like, are you the one that's the one building the database? Yes. Wonderful. Yes. So, I'm uh, just going to throw in before we get too far in. I mention all the time that I'm actually an urban planner and I work at an architecture firm on the mug I've been drinking from literally says architecture. <laughs> the first word in there. That's the theme of the day. I yeah. yeah. That's perfect. Well, excellent. How did you get started and how did you discover Airtable along the way? Well, I 
in, in a different timeline, I was going to go into computer science and software developing. But my dad managed to get me a summer job at an architecture practice when I was like 15. And I caught the bug. So uh, there you go. So still have the coding skills, but don't use them. Uh, apart from like scripting and design um, software. Now, fast forward to 2017, I was uh, working in uh, WeWork's European uh, division. Uh, so we're doing the buildings here in Europe. And uh, WeWork did have uh, already set up uh, a number of bases in Airtable. And we were required to use them as part of work. Uh, and then I'm like, oh, wow, there's so much potential here to utilize this in ways that we're actually not using it. Um, so yeah, that's where it kind of started. And uh, it was super useful when I started using it to kind of data mine our buildings. Uh, so using that in a way where it wasn't kind of intended to be used. Um, so yeah, it was super interesting. And then I moved back to Cyprus and I just never stopped using it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, it's funny. I, I think a lot of people kind of start out using it. I mean, just because it is so flexible, you could use it however you want. And like, there's real like no right way to do it. If it's going to work for you, then it works, right? I, that's what I love about it. It's super flexible. Yeah. Uh, so what kind of um, projects are you using it for now? So we've got like, I keep coming up with different applications. Like we can use it for this, we can use it for this, we can use it for this, like we can use it for our operations. Uh, we can use it for uh, projects. So for budgeting and taking quantities directly off of software and stuff like that. Uh, we use it to kind of like benchmark our briefs from the clients to make sure like, are we actually designing to brief and things like that. Um, I've got some things to show and we can go through it in a bit. Uh, but uh, generally speaking, it's more of a, hey, like we've got a problem, a design problem, but it requires us to validate it with data. How do we do it? So it's usually, sometimes it's something that's more kind of holistic. So you, you can use it for a lot of things or it's, uh, sometimes it's like a, a very, very specific, we do look one base for one thing and it just solves one specific problem. and it doesn't necessarily mean that you can translate it to another project, but at least it takes a lot of reporting or um, work off of our hands. Absolutely. Yeah. That's super interesting. Well, I'm excited to see what you've got to show us. I'm, I was curious uh, if you can share how WeWork used Airtable. That is NDA, but yeah, uh, I'm not sure they still use it. Yeah. Uh, they were using it back in the day. Um, it, but we used it more for internal operations. Uh, it was more reporting internal operations, getting things through gates. So like when you get through approval gates and then you kind of like pass it on to the next department. So when it was going through real estate and they were assessing a potential property and then you kind of like get it over and like push it to the design team. So you kind of like use the same data, but pass it on to different stakeholders along the way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Very nice. What about uh, uh, maybe quick question for Camille or Chris, like how pop, do you know other architecture related firms that use Airtable? Is it known within that industry or you guys are just outliers? Uh, I don't think it's a popular tool, I guess in our, Field. Not, not for us either. Like we've used it, like we've instigated using it with clients mm -hmm. to get them, give them access to either dashboards or uh, uh, specific views so they can kind of like keep up to date with their permits and tracking it and stuff like that. But uh, I've, I've been I've been pushing it a lot and it hasn't been picking up for some reason. Uh, but not a lot of architects are big on data. Well, <laughs> like, I, I think that's interesting because 
I've been seeing more and more, we were talking about it literally yesterday, um, the idea of parametric design, which is using data to help you generate different design schemes really quickly. So you feed it a bunch of parameters, a program will spit out a couple of different building shapes, and then the architects will take that building shape that you know best fits uh, what they want and then like start to like carve out um, even more. It's like uh, a good comparison might be 3D printing where the, the printer will print out a lot of what you need to do, but you still need to go in and sand it and then paint it afterward. And um, I don't think Airtable is necessarily a good fit for the world of parametric design, but I, I do see more and more people trying to think through how can we use data to help with the process of design. Yeah, well, it's picking up, it's picking up a lot more for urban design uh, because you, you do get a lot of more, there's a lot more data readily available online that yes. you can use from the government. Now yes. for in, in like building design, unless you're generating your own data, it's very hard to get proper benchmarks for that. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, um, but in terms of generative design, uh, we we do we do do parametric design in the office, um, and we we also use Revit. So yeah, for uh, people who don't know, Revit is a software that allows you to design buildings with objects rather than geometry. So like a door is a door, and it has metadata attached to it, so it carries the dimensions of the door, uh, price of the door, manufacturer, specifications, all of that goes with the object. So that data can be um, transformed uh, into, like you can export the schedules of this data from the software directly to CSV, for example. So getting the data out of the software and putting it somewhere where you can actually do things with it, like Airtable, super useful. Like, uh, like I, I love doing it. Um, and also the other way around. So we've, um, like I've used it in cases where I had the data in Airtable and had to export it to link it into, um, into the software. So things like, um, like what spaces, what kind of like space take up does each function take? And then, uh, like plot it out into Airtable, like as a, a dummy, uh, environment sandbox and then just push it into the software so it 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 can integrate not directly so you always need to go kind of workflow around it but uh, i have used it both ways so uh it can work it just it doesn't lend itself too much to it so have you would, would any of the above that was just mentioned would you be able to use the the like 3d uh, renderer extension that Airtable has because it's so rare to find like some, something that would use that extension and I've always wanted to see it in action. I think we had someone on the show a few weeks ago. That we did and you could but the process you would need to take I think to get the info that we typically work with from an architect standpoint I don't want to speak for you Chris but from an architect standpoint there's a lot more detailed geometry that you have to work with and from an urban planning standpoint all of my geometry is simple but I'm looking at a whole city at a time and I don't want to deal with that in Airtable sure. no shade to Airtable but that's not what they're made for and I would rather just use a you know 3D viewer that is sort of built to handle that level of detail or that level of scale right yeah cool awesome well we are glad you could uh join us all the way from cyprus <clears throat> yeah that's so cool go back here and now chris is going to share with us some of his bases that he uses in the real world and we're going to share your screen here there you go. Take it away. All right. Perfect. So um, I'm going to go through a few bases slash interfaces that uh, kind of use case scenarios that we use it for. Um, it, it's not using any automations, no scripting, no uh, bells and whistles, but uh, it 
does the job with uh, base uh, Airtable functionality. So we try to do our best. Um, now, um, just to highlight the data here, a lot of it is dummy data because I can't actually share the real data. But um, so I'm going to go through a few use case scenarios. Uh, use case scenario number one is um, using the data from the design software, getting quantities out of the software, and then how do we deal with those quantities for budgeting the project. Uh, the other one is more kind of like uh, how do we make sure that we're designing to brief uh, and um, tracking permits and uh, optimizing budgets. So uh, I'm going to start off with our kind of um, the project budgeting side of things, but we also use it for tendering. So if we have a look at the base behind this, um, so what we have here is, all right, so we've got, so there's a, a basically a, a table that deals with uh, the quantity takeoffs. So we've got these organized in categories. So every category of the, uh, the building process from pre preliminaries, excavations, demolitions, all the way to um, artwork, we're, like, we're covered in these categories. And then what we do, we go and get every single aspect of the building mapped out in quantities. So partitions for meeting rooms, there. Uh, cutting the floor boxes to get the power distribution, it's there. Um, things like uh, ceiling mounted racks, uh, all the way to like meeting room chairs and boardroom chairs. Everything's in there and we, we basically break them down by level and by zone. So like level four meeting room has four meeting room chairs and there's a, a budget assigned to that. Now, uh, after we do these kind of takeoffs in, in, and we migrate them into Airtable, then we try to go out to tenders because the idea is that we want to be unbiased towards the tenders or the potential suppliers. So what we do is kind of like just report the different tenders to the clients. So uh, we basically go on every single item in the quantities table and we put, like, for example, this uh, two-seater sofa, approximate dimensions from the design is this. And then we've got three different uh, options for that uh, with their associated pictures. And we kind of like do an export of this and send it to the client. So for this item in the quantities, you've got three different options. Which one do you want? So it basically goes into the quantities table and starts multiplying by unit price. Uh, if there's uh, percentage waste, if you've got tiles and you're cutting tiles and you've got wastage, it also has a parameter in there for that. And if you have discounts, and then uh, we'll basically just report, you know what, the unit price is that this much times the quantity that it pulls from the other table. This is the estimated cost across the project for this specific item. And then if you have it, you've got different statuses. So we're using the same tables to track deliveries as well. So if you have it shortlisted, if you have it selected, ordered, confirmed delivery dates, delivered, installed, rejected, and damaged. So uh, if things are, uh, if we're tracking the deliveries, but also the overdue items, so that's how we uh, go around with it. But if, if, for example, anything that is at bid mode doesn't Pull, so we've got, it doesn't pull into this table, the quantity table, because in here, this estimated cost is basically uh, rolling up the information from uh, the tender table where the status is not bid or rejected, right? So if it's at bid mode or if it's rejected, it doesn't aggregate the values. If it changes into anything else, it means it's already part of the acquisition process, the procurement, and it adds it into the budget. So that's kind of like what's going on in the background of the base, which kind of makes this make more sense. So basically everything that we put into the base aggregates in terms of cost, and then the client can have a dashboard and see exactly what this cost breaks down into. So uh, we've got the different categories from wall construction to aluminum systems, floor coverings, IT systems, all of these for this project specifically, because 
it is done in interior fit out for an office space. So there's no building work done to it, um, construction wise. Uh, so you see the breakdown of the different categories and what the estimated cost for each is. So that's great. And if you scroll further down, you actually have a breakdown of the quantities and the budget. So they still get the kind of like more data oriented breakdown of this if they really want to see it uh, summarized, but they also have a, like a high level overview of what the budget is for the project. Uh, so, so where you see if it's been selected, so place partitions, create, it's selected, it's there. Anything that's a zero value, it means there's no supplier, nothing selected for it, and they need to make a decision. Essentially, that's what it's there for. So if it's empty, means guys, you, we've we've got tenders for this, we've we've allowed for it, but you have made a decision. So if you want this project budget to reflect reality, you need to fill it in. Um, even though we're doing the filling in aspect of it, which is uh, kind of uh, the bottleneck, but uh, at least it keeps us on top of things. Now we do have our kind of like internal interfaces to help us deal with like reviewing these items. So if we go furniture and we're going between different options, different types of furniture that we have, and we're seeing different options for the same item, right? So this is from the same supplier, but it's two options for the same item. So we can decide, oh, you want, we want that. So let's go and select it. Like we've selected that. So now if we go back to the budget, it's already changed, right? So that's one use case scenario that we use it for. Uh, it's super useful for smaller projects. In bigger projects, you've got a specialist that deals with the quantities. So we don't want to kind of double up on the work. But for a smaller project like this, it's great. Um, now, uh, let me go here. So because we're, getting, we're, we're dealing with buildings and we need to go through kind of jumping through hoops with the uh, authorities. Uh, a lot of the work we do is based on getting permit approvals from the local and national authorities. So um, basically uh, it, for any building that's uh, in potential construction, that's over a certain size, uh, you need to go through an authorization process with different departments. So you need to go to the energy department, you need to go to the Department of Environment, uh, to make sure like you're are you um checking all the sustainability issues are you making sure that you're not um uh, creating any um issues with the local flora and fauna and so on so uh, part of that is actually tracking it and creating dashboards to support it right so uh basically this is a dashboard that deals with that uh it's basically just a reporting dashboard uh we know what's going on in the background anyways but for clients to see where we are, so this is what we do. So like there's 12 consultations that we were requested to do with the different departments. There's 10 of them complete. That's the average percentage completion based on the values. And then what we have here is basically responsibility for these by uh, the different disciplines. And then basically it's, it's the same data just grouped differently. So this is basically, oh, you know what, executive architects, which is us in this case. And we're seeing, um, you know what, uh, uh, we've got one record that's pending approval and one that's under review. So we can check that. Uh, that has environmental engineer has one record pending approval and the rest is like changes requested, approved, topographer. So different uh, disciplines having to deal with different departments. And then here is basically just that it's more of a color-coded version of the different departments. So you've got the Antiquities Department, Civil Aviation Authority, Electricity Authority. So it's just color-coding the status of each. Um, and if you go further down again, this is something that like I like to do typically because this is kind of like the overview and this is the data if you really want to go into detail, right? Uh, because of transparency. Like we want people to be able to see, hey, you know what, this is kind of the the overview, but if you want to go into the data and see the details, or you know, what was approved? Uh, you know what, uh, these specific conditions are currently under negotiation. So there's a lot, there's more data and summary of the different decisions in there if they want to get into the nitty gritty details, but if not, the dashboard is usually more than enough for them. 
I uh, really like the chart on the right. I, for some reason, I've never thought of doing it that way when you have a sequential series of things that you need and each of those sequential things has a status. And I don't know ex uh, if it's exactly the same or you are, but uh, with our permitting process, um, sometimes you have to get, you know, you have to go to the building department before you go to the energy department or vice versa. So there's, you know, things happen in an order. And I know with charts, you can change or control rather you know, which stack appears where and seeing yep. color coded, okay, this is going to go from light tan to dark orange to blue. And that's how I know that that column is done. Then the next one I could see where it is in that process just by looking at the color coding. I just really okay. like seeing they're all the same height, obviously, because there's one approval. One per record per, per, right. yeah. So you're just using number of records versus like aggregating a field, having mm -hmm. a field summary. So that's why it is. There's no sequence to them the way the permitting process happens here. Got like it. it's usually going in parallel. Um, but the but I get what you mean. Like uh, you could potentially number the departments. So okay. if you have a sequence, you can put a, a number on the formula field to like give them a sequence. Mm -hmm. So you can sort by department, right. and then yeah, just have like a, a volume bar, and then it's basically because becomes a progress bar, right? Yeah. 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 I've done that in one interface with a bunch of tasks. Like it's mm -hmm. it's not it's not as pretty as this because there's way too many tasks. I thought it looked better than having like the grid because it just took up too much space. It it looks very nice, but yours looks way better. <laughs> and you're also using the non-default color scheme. I think it's it was lost a while ago that I don't think we've ever really mentioned, but you have more color options and interfaces. Mm -hmm. That's yes, thing. you do, and, and like it's 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 a shame because the it doesn't give you control of the color scheme. Yeah, Whereas you don't, if, you, if you can't get it exactly how you want, but you don't have to use the default Airtable color scheme that's in like yeah. the single select yeah. fields, for instance. Well, like I I've got like a like whenever I go into edit mode and to look at these color schemes. Uh, I'm like, okay, oh, Tableau extended, uh, science book. Like, I, I love science book, but it's not useful. Like, right. there's almost no... Yeah, uh, it's too close. Yeah, it's too close. And then, like, the one I really like is the City Lights one, because it's always funky. But, mm -hmm. like, you can't control, like, I want approved to be, like, a greenish color, right? Yeah. Uh, but you can't control what color from your palette does what. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it would be great if you could have, like, in your... Uh, status uh, or like single select fields or multi-select fields to kind of like assign one color to each different status or uh, it would be great, but it's not there yet, yeah. which is okay, I guess. Um, yeah. Let's see, what else do we have? Oh, this, this one's interesting. All right. So another use that we typically use it for um, when you have a brief from the client. So this is a condition where we've got uh, a brief where you've got like this is a, a dummy hotel project, so data is not actually real, but uh, it's basically saying, oh, you know what, we've got specific number of guest rooms, and they need to be this specific size. And are you hitting the targets? Uh, how much space are you taking? Because then we can use this data to actually budget the project or pass the data onwards to make sure that it's actually feasible to be built. Uh, so uh, we're basically breaking down, if I go, let me see, can I go, do I have it below? Not here, maybe here? Yes. So here what we're doing, we're looking at, for example, uh, guest rooms and suites, king guest room, king twin, twin guest room, deluxe queen, deluxe king, and you've got the target area, the occupancy, the proposed area, and the occupancy, and what the deviation is. So if you've gotten minus in any field, it means you're not hitting your targets, right? So um, so you've got a deviation in terms of area and a deviation in terms of occupancy that you can uh, basically just review. So it, we do it for every aspect of the building. Uh, and this is a big building. So we're talking about 70,000 square meters um, in terms of building volume. So knowing where the bulk of your space is allocated is super important. 
So like we can tell from here, for example, that oh you know what the guest rooms were like fourteen thousand six seventy, and we've managed to get it down to ten thousand nine hundred. So like in terms of optimizing the budget and making sure that you're following your brief, it's good. What I haven't been able like this is one of my pet peeves with Airtable. You can't customize the scale of this. I was about uh, to ask. Yeah. Uh, and it really bugs me because it would be great if I could see that one's there and you know what, the other one's over here, mm -hmm. right? Or if I could get these side by side, like one field here and the other one like directly adjacent to it, uh, which kind of like Excel, Excel was so helpful in these cases. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Um, well, Chris, we've got, yeah. we'll wrap up. We've got a question from Jan from the community asking, um, how do you share the dashboard with clients? Do you give them access to the base? And then also to explain F2F. Yes, well, a lot of it is face-to-face. -face. Uh, we don't share. So uh, if we get a client on Airtable, it would be, if we are able to sync the data and kind of like isolate it, then yes, if they are on Airtable, we could. We don't typically, usually we have our weekly calls and we'll go through dashboard show them and go through it so it is more a lot of it is face to face uh we've shared views in the past we don't share the dashboards themselves um uh, but we share snapshots of the dashboards which is kind of like a workaround so uh we basically just uh if if we wanted to share this we could basically just do a a full page screenshot which is that so screen capture in process, and then we can just share this. So that's the way around it. So it's a static piece of information at that point in time. Uh, if they want to go through it, we have our calls and we can, or we can do like a quick 15 minute session just to walk through it if they have any questions. But yeah, typically we won't add them to the basis if the bases have too much data. Very cool. That's awesome stuff, Chris. Thank you so much for, for sharing with us and giving insight into how real companies use Airtable. Uh, what's been the impression of the team as they've been interacting with this? Um, well, it's it's picking up, they see the value in it. They're like It would be difficult to not look at it and not see the value in it. Um, I think that the real challenge is actually getting getting people to start inputting the data and being like interested in inputting the data. So it's not part of your normal job description, right? Um, so it getting people into the mindset of, oh, you know what? I've got this data. How can I make better use of it? because we usually get data from the work that we do, like whether it's like floor areas in floor plan or um, like quantities that we have to review, um, like schedules of doors and windows, which is like really, who, who really cares about that? But in terms of like itemizing the data and being able to review it, it's super useful. And uh, grouping it and having it organized by types, uh, like I've done it in the past and like I can't imagine not doing it. Uh, like I've had to do it with pivot tables in Excel once and I wanted to pull my hair out um, and I did it twice in one year. So uh, doing it in Airtable was obviously a better solution, but yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's always the issue is it's only as good as the data that's in it. <laughs> uh, sorry, I've got um, I've got a small visitor. Uh, Welcome. Say hi. Xanthus Jr. Aww. Yep. All right. And one photo and All right. Very good. We'll move on. All right. Uh, thank you, Chris, for sharing that with us. Final plug for our Built on Air community. Join us. Uh, amazing people like Chris and many other. We have thousands of people in our Slack community. We'd love to have you join us as well. Builtonair.com slash join. Get in the Slack community. Uh, subscribe to the newsletter. Get up to date on all the new happenings uh when the podcast is released and uh all that fun stuff so we'd love to have you join us if you're not already in our community we will wrap up with camille walking through some google drive stuff there you go is this my screen up? yep okay 
Um, so I am, again, one of the very few people that will be affected by Airtable's move away from permanent uh, attachment links, uh, you know, being reliable outside of Airtable if you're using the API to grab a static link to an attachment image. It's not going to work um, after November. Um, and because of the way my old website was, you know, set up, I was storing all of my images in Airtable's attachment fields and pulling those static URLs to display them on my website. Well, I have to think through a different way of organizing my stuff. And I remembered that I basically store all of my files on Google Drive anyway. So I have been going through the process of transitioning my methodology to uh, keeping all of my stuff on um, Google Drive and associating each of my files with the relevant project. So my file structure for Google Drive is set up where I have a portfolio top level folder and Airtable is reading that folder and pulling it in through their native Google Drive integration sync, which is very, very helpful. And I'm just going to talk through a couple of things that I've done to help the process along and my interface that I use to control which uh, images will eventually appear on my site. So when you sync into uh, Airtable, you get a URL or not a URL, a file path of the top level folder uh, that you've selected to sync, and then all of the subfolders leading into the actual file. Um, I'm using a combination of find and regex to pull out pieces of information. So I have a very regulated file structure. Um, I put everything by the project type. It's either urban planning or it's Airtable or it's graphic design or something. That's the first subfolder. And then the second subfolder is going to be the project name. And then from there, it's a free-for-all because for planning projects, I have way more attachments. Some of them are images, some of them are PDFs, some of them are working files like Illustrator or SketchUp. Um, for Airtable projects, it's only gonna be images and there's not gonna be those subfolders. So my last uh, formula field is a little bit more complicated to get what the name of the project is. Um, I'm not going to explain this in detail because this would take forever, uh, but essentially I'm saying if it's an urban planning project, it probably has a subfolder that I have to parse out and get just what uh, the name of the project is. If it's a Airtable project, it probably doesn't have a subfolder and it's more simple to get what the project name is. So at the end of the day, I have a formula field that just spits out what the name of the project is based on the uh, one of the folders in the file path. And then I have a simple automation that will take that and copy and paste it into the link to project field. And that's what happens. Um, then if we take a look at my demo website, again, I was building this in Glide. It hasn't really gone live yet, but I'm either going to use this thing or use a very, very similar process to what I'm showing here. And you can uh, see that I have one image that will show up when you're looking at a grid of all of my projects. And again, it'll, it'll appear here. But if I look at a gallery of images, I have a lot of images that are also associated. So the way I accomplish that in my setup is to have a column for a, a checkbox that's should this image appear on the site? And is this image the cover image? And the easiest way to go through all of my files is to look at it in an interface. So it's a fairly simple setup. I have uh, a list of my projects off to the left. Um, and then in the center view, I just have simply, all I need to know is the name of the project. And then I have a bunch of number fields uh, to help me see whether or not I think I have enough images that are uh, marked as published and whether or not I have a cover photo. So I've gone in and unchecked one of these boxes just so that you could see that's what the use case is. I only need one cover image and it's that one. And having this up at the top just lets me know at a quick glance, oh, I forgot to fill this one in. Let me go back and do that. Um, but with this layout, I'm able to look at 
the thumbnail, obviously uh, the thumbnails pulled in from the sink are very small versions of the image. So it's, I can't really see it in all its glory, but if I wanted to view it in full, I could click the button that comes along with the integration and view the image, um, you know, larger in case I have very similar looking images and I need to pick which one is the one I have that button there. Um, I also have the name of the file in there. I've been considering whether or not to add another column for caption because sometimes, you know, the name of the image, if I haven't gone in and renamed something might not be what I want to show as the caption on my website. So that may be the next step for me in my file manager interface, just adding a quick little column that says caption and then telling Glide to pull in that field versus the file name. And then of course my two um, check boxes for whether or not I want this to appear on the site. And I have it grouped. So here are the ones that I've said, um, I wanna keep them in my Google Drive. So I always have access to them, but I don't necessarily need them on my website. I wanted to make sure that all of the, the good ones, the ones that are really gonna you know, pull people's attention are the ones that get published. And having it in an interface means I can focus in on the information I wanna see um, very, very quickly and then switch in between projects also very quickly. So that's pretty much it for how I've laid everything out. I showed the other part of this interface before, which shows each project and then information about each one that allows me to edit things really quickly. Um, but the file manager, I think is probably the one I've I'm going to use the most because I might add as the project goes on, I might make a new graphic that I wanna appear on the website and I want to be able to review things fast enough and make sure that I have enough that's displayed on the website. And that's it. That's cool. I do think, I mean, I think we're just going to see more and more of, you know, Airtable is the back end and then some, maybe something else for the front end, but this just showcases how useful that scenario is. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Thank you, Camille. Cool. That uh, wraps up our show for today. Any final parts before we end our season? Well, I'm bummed we're at the end of the season. But yeah. So we will Looking be over for the next month season. of August. Maybe actually take a vacation. I don't know. I haven't done what? that this summer. I need to no. do that. <laughs> we're going to stay here. And we're going to work nonstop so that, so that we have just the coolest looking interfaces. Yep. Yep. That's probably the reality. Is Okay. So for the previous competitions that Airtable has done, the scripting one and the uh, custom blocks one, the mm -hmm. entries were like publicly accessible in like a gallery kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Are the interfaces, do we know if those are going to be available? I ask because we have a full month sort of that we're going to be off. And then I think by the time we come back with season 12, we might be able to do like a just a review and looking through some of the submissions. Maybe. I don't know. I think a lot of people are sharing them on the actual post in the community because yeah. I think Kavan had asked that question to Jordan and she was like, oh, I'd love if you just post it here too. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we'll have a nice repository there. Yeah, yeah I'm curious to see what other people do because I, I have, I think, a handful of interfaces that I, I, I personally use myself that I've built. Mm -hmm. And I the way I design things, a lot of my stuff looks similar because I have, I'm very particular about the way I want stuff laid out. And so I, I am curious to see how other people uh, set their stuff up. Uh, even if I have a completely different use case, like Chris was showing with the way you've done your chart, it's so simple. And yet I, it never occurred to me to um, use a chart in that way. And so now, now I, now I want to see everybody's stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. I, we should just have like an interface share day or something. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We'll go through it. So. Cool. I'm gonna end. I'm gonna end the show. And thankful for everybody that participated. We will be back with you in September. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Bye.
Thank you for joining today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out our sponsor, ontair.com, and we will see you next time on the Built On Air podcast.